Well, thank you so much, Ben. I'd just like to invite you to take a seat. Uh, Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, If you are just joining us, you are joining us for part three of a four-part series that we've been doing here at Beyond called Surviving Christmas. Now, if you're just joining us and you missed the last two weeks and you're not going to be here next week, don't worry. Uh, we created this series so that you don't, you don't need any extra information to understand tonight's message. Tonight's message is like a one-off message kind of bracketed into uh, a larger part of the series. And we, call, we titled this series Surviving Christmas because Christmas is unique. Christmas brings with it uh, a lot of uh, exciting things, but also a lot of things that can be challenging. A lot of tension can come around this Christmas period, and we just wanted to help you kind of navigate through those, those challenges and through that tension so that this truly is a wonderful time of year for you. For me, I love Christmas. Uh, one, because I can guilt-free watch my favourite rom-com of all time, uh, The Holiday, with Kate Winslet, with uh, J- uh, Cameron Diaz, with uh, Jude Law, uh, with Jack Black. It's honestly my favourite uh, cr- chick flick of all time. Not only that, I can watch Love Actually time and time again and, and watch it and repeat, and it doesn't matter because it's Christmas after all. I can listen to Michael Bublé every day, every day, and I can feel great about myself because at the end of the day, it's Christmas. Christmas is fantastic. And probably uh, one of the fantastic things about Christmas is it's a great time to be generous and it's a great time to do good and give back to those who we love. It's a great time to give back and show just how much the people around us mean to us. And we do that through gifts, through um, inviting them to parties, through uh, just conversations that we have around the dinner table, uh, it's a fantastic time to celebrate the friendships that we have, celebrate the fact that, you know, we, we uh, finished uni this year, celebrate the fact that, that another year is finished, and celebrate with the people we care about the most. It's a great time to, to do good for those that we love, but not only those that we love, but also the people that we don't know. It can be a fantastic time to do good for those who are complete strangers, do good for those uh, who we don't know, who are less fortunate than ourselves. Something you may not know is that during the Christmas period, uh, generosity towards uh, charitable uh, giving uh, organisations increases through the roof. 34% of all charitable giving is done in the last three months of the year, 18% of which is just done in December alone. Christmas is a fantastic time to be generous, particularly to those that we don't know whatsoever. It truly is more blessed to give than receive. But on the flip side of that, and this is what I really want to talk about tonight, is while it's easy to do good for those who love us, and it's easy to do good for those who are complete strangers who are less fortunate than us, it can be extremely difficult to do for those who don't do for us. It can be extremely difficult to do for those who have hurt us. It can be extremely difficult to even imagine doing good for somebody who has hurt us in our past. Doing good for our boss that kind of, uh, you know, takes advantage of us, makes us work excessive hours and doesn't even give us the recognition that we deserve. Not only that, it can be extremely hard to do good for those um, in, our, in our family circles, those who mistreat us from time to time. It can be very hard to be generous and to do good for those who have gossiped about us, those who have spread rumours about us and hurt us. 
It can be extremely difficult to do anything good for those who have hurt us emotionally or physically. Not only that, but it can be extremely difficult to do anything good for those who have hurt somebody close to us. You know, that person that hurt our sister. That person who caused our son or our daughter's heart to break. It can be extremely difficult to even imagine being generous and do, to do good for those who remind us of somebody who hurt us. Well, that's our stepmom or a stepdad. That constant reminder that things aren't right in our families. The constant reminder that dad's not home this Christmas. The constant reminder that your mum and dad aren't together. It can be extremely hard to even uh, extend love and to do good for those who even represent somebody who hurt us. But as we're going to discover tonight, while it's difficult, we need to learn how to overcome this and we need to learn to do good for those who have hurt us because at its end, it will ultimately hurt us if we don't. Because when we don't do good for those who uh, don't do for us, what it causes us to do is uh, it causes us to hold on to hurt, to hold on to hurt. And not only that, but it causes uh, us to uh, experience feelings of anger, experiences of bitterness and resentment. And we can find ourselves hurting that person, mistreating that person, avoiding that person. But not only that person, it can cause us to, to hurt the people around us, the people that we wouldn't even imagine hurting or even dream of causing any heartbreak for. And it's all found in that one thing. When we hold on to that hurt, and when we don't do good for those who don't do for us, it will eventually hurt us and cause us to hurt the people around us. And so tonight, I want to answer one question for you. How do we do good for those who don't do for us? Because it's not something that comes naturally. What comes naturally is to avoid that person. What comes naturally is to, to be overcritical of that person. What comes naturally is to kind of tell all your friends about what they did to you so they kind of side with you. But it's not natural to do good for somebody who has not done good for you and who wouldn't even dream of doing good for you. So how do we do that? Well, tonight, I just want to tell you one story from the life of Jesus. Um, one story that kind of occurs after Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And I just want to tell you this one story, and I want you to kind of reflect. Reflect on maybe the people in your own midst who you may uh, have the tendency to kind of push to the outer, to want to try and avoid this Christmas, to try and kind of block out of your mind so you don't have to think about what they did to you. And I uh, want to talk about this one Sermon on the Mount. It's an event that occurs right after this massive sermon that Jesus gives. Um, it's it considered Jesus' most famous sermon, and within it, um, it, it categorized, Jesus categorized uh, what were the defining things of the, of the Christian movement, of the Jesus movement. Uh, this uh, sermon went on for three, maybe four, maybe five days. Uh, there was thousands upon thousands of people there sitting and listening to Jesus. Um, and within this, within all the characteristics that Jesus kind of defines what the, the Jesus movement was all about, there's one characteristic that rises above the rest. Love. And this is one thing that Jesus continues to come back to, that the hallmark of the Jesus movement is love. Love was to be the defining characteristic. Love for one another was the, to be the thing that separated the Christians from everybody else. And Jesus points this out, 
And what he does to do this is he grabs kind of this, this common law that everybody did, um, and it was simply to love your neighbour and hate your enemy, which makes good sense, right? Well, you do good to those who do good to you, and you do bad to those who do bad to you. It, it just makes sense. They got what they deserved because they didn't do anything good by you. Why would you do anything good by them? And that was the common thing that everybody kind of assigned to. And Jesus took this and then he raised the standard and he said, if you follow me, I don't want you just to love your neighbor. I want you to love your enemy. I want you to extend love to those who don't do good for you. I want you to extend love to those who have hurt you and who have hurt the people close to you. And Jesus, in this moment, he kind of points out what his followers are meant to do, but he doesn't explain how they are to do it, which is really annoying in some point, because how do we do good for those who don't do for us? Jesus kind of says, do it, and but he doesn't explain it. But the explanation comes right after his Sermon on the Mount, when he actually has to demonstrate what this looks like. For some of you, you've probably heard this before, you know, I want you to, to love other people, Yet, you have heard people like me say that, and then you look at my life, and you look at other people's, other Christians' lives who say, hey, you're supposed to love everybody, and you look at their life, and you look at the way they love, and they don't love everybody. In fact, they actually hurt the people that hurt them. And you, for, for every reason, should be sceptical of that, and I understand why you may be. But Jesus is placed in that exact position where he has to back up what he says, where he has to demonstrate exactly what he means by love your enemies. And this occurs in Matthew 8, right after the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to pick up right there. Um, We're told that when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Now, I just want to kind of paint you kind of a picture of what this would have looked like. Um, and I want to put like a kind of a Hollywood spin on this. So I just want you to imagine just a massive mountain, and then we've got Jesus in his white robe, obviously, strutting down this massive mountain with his entourage of uh, his 12 disciples kind of rallied around him. And then behind him, he's got this large crowd of hundreds, thousands of people who are following him. They've just heard this motivating speech, and they're pumped. And everybody's coming down, just like the rain, and they're, they're coming, down the, coming down this mountain and then all of a sudden, they're stopped. All of a sudden, they're stopped by this one man. We're told in the next verse that a, a leper, a man with leprosy, came to him and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. All of a sudden, we've got this big kind of crowd kind of following Jesus down and all of a sudden, everything stops. This poor leper kneels before him and asks him to be clean, asks him that for him to kind of make him right and heal him. And everybody looks in on Jesus. Everybody looks in to see what he will do. And the coolest thing happens. Jesus heals him. All of a sudden, everybody is going wild. The crowd's going wild. This guy is walking his talk. This guy isn't too big for the small people. He isn't too big for the sick people. He isn't too big for the poor people. He's willing to take his undivided attention and give it to this one poor leper. And he heals him. And then the story goes on. And they they reach their destination. They were journeying from this mountaintop to the city of Capernaum. And they reach the city. 
And when they reached that, they are introduced to a man uh, who we're going to meet. And this man is where, and this uh, kind of encounter is where uh, the story intersects with our life and what we're talking about tonight. Because in this moment, Jesus is placed in the position where he has to do good for those who have not done anything good by him. And we pick up in verse 5. We're told that when Jesus entered Capernaum, uh, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now, this is an extremely emotional moment. And it's something that we may miss because we sit here in the 21st century. But for the first century Jews who would have been reading this, and for everybody present in this moment, this would have been a highly emotional moment because this was a Roman centurion. And a Roman centurion was disliked by the Jews for two important reasons. One, because of what he represented. He was a part of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was the ruling empire of that time. And they weren't the ruling empire because they were elected. They were the ruling empire because they were the strongest. And they went in and they slaughtered people and they beat elders and they raped and pillaged towns to make sure that everybody would bow down to them. And this Roman uh, centurion represented all that. Not only that, but he would have been involved in that. See, a Roman centurion was an officer. And how you became a Roman centurion was uh, because of two things, violence and submission. You did things without question. And so when a governor or the emperor asked you to do something, you did it without question. And so that meant that this man would have literally killed hundreds, maybe thousands of people. He would have raped and pillaged towns and beat old people for the fun of it. And for, uh, so that Rome could have reign. And everybody would fear Rome. That's what this Roman centurion was. And he's now asking Jesus, who's a Jew, for help. You can just imagine the emotion in this room. And not only that, but you can imagine it in your own life. Because if we're all honest, we've all been there at some point. When the person that's hurt us the most, when the person that's hurt us the deepest, who has offended us or has hurt somebody close to us, comes to us and asks us for help. You know, that person who hurt our friend comes to us asking for a favour. And you're like, a favour? I don't owe you a favour. Are you kidding? You know, somebody comes to you asking for a recommendation and you're like, a recommendation? I can't believe you're contacting me, let alone asking me for my help. A second chance? Wait, wait, wait. Who is this? You want a second chance? You mean more like a hundred and second chance. How many chances do you want? I've given you chance after chance after chance. What do you mean you want a second chance? We've all had those moments, right? Where somebody who's hurt us, or somebody close to us, comes to us, and they want help, and they want a favour, they want us to do good by them. And within us, it can be hard, and within us, there's all this emotion tied up within that. And you can just imagine what the disciples and what Jesus and what the crowd was feeling at this moment when this Roman centurion 
who has done everything wrong by the Jews, who has done everything wrong by them, comes asking for help. He says, Lord, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, and here's the kicker, suffering terribly. Can you imagine that? This is a man who's inflicted so much pain and so much suffering on everybody else. And it didn't seem to bother him when he was inflicting the suffering. It didn't seem to bother him when he was causing other people to hurt. But all of a sudden, somebody close to him, somebody dear to him, is asking for help, is in pain. And all of a sudden, it concerns him. You can imagine what the disciples and what the the crowd were hoping Jesus' response would be to this man. You can imagine what Jesus could have said to justify what he did. He could, have, he could have just told the man, go find a medic, go find somebody else to help you. You don't need my help. You go find somebody else. You, I don't owe you any favours. Why are you asking me for help? You go ask somebody else. Yet, Jesus, while he could have responded that way, and would have been, it would have been decent, right? And yet, while he could have done that, Jesus did something completely different because Jesus was born into this world to introduce a new approach to living. He was born into this world to introduce a new ethic to living that flies in the face of common decency and common sense. In the next verse, we're told that Jesus said to him, shall I come heal him? And he did. He had every right not to. He had every excuse possible to excuse himself from that situation and yet he heals this man. And now this is where the problem comes for us and this is where the tricky part comes for us and I realise this is neither holy nor jolly. This is not something that you're going to want to do. But why? Why is it so difficult to serve somebody and to extend love to somebody who's a complete stranger than to somebody who's hurt us? Why, is it, why do we find it easier to serve those who we have no idea about than maybe somebody who we've got some history with? Why do we find it so easy to serve a complete stranger other than, rather than you know, a certain relative? Why do we find it easier? The reason why is found in one thing, our perspective. See, when we read this story and when we see this situation, we mistakenly identify with Jesus rather than than the centurion. We see ourselves looking over the top of Jesus' shoulder, deciding whether or not we're going to be generous whether or not we're going to extend love, whether or not we're going to do right by them, whether or not we're going to forgive them, when in reality, we're standing on the other side of the equation, when in reality, we're actually the centurion in this situation. See, perspective is everything when it comes to treating one another. Perspective is everything. The way you see you and the way you see others affects the way you treat others. The way you see you affects the way you treat others. And you would know this uh, because you saw people in high school 
who thought they were fantastic. They thought they were better than everybody else, right? And they weren't, but they thought that. And what they did was they thought they were better than everybody else, so they treated everybody like they were less than them. They treated everybody like they were better than everybody else. See, the way you see you affects the way you treat everybody else. But not only that, the way you see others affects the way you treat others. I think Stephen Covey, for me, uh, probably gives a a fantastic example of what this looks like. Uh, His book, uh, The Seven Practices of Highly Effective People, he gives us one example uh, of of a man who's in this silent carriage, and he's got three kids with him. And in this carriage, um, it's a quiet carriage, and you're sitting in the carriage. And this man is just sitting there on his own, doing nothing, while his three kids run rampant along this train. And they, they're causing chaos, they're fighting, they're yelling, they're screaming, and this man does nothing. He's their father, and yet he does nothing. And you're sitting on the train, and you can't believe he's not doing anything about his kids. They're his responsibility, and yet he's doing nothing. And so you walk up to him, and you say, mate, get, get a handle on your kids. Are you going to do something about that? And he says, I'm sorry, their mum just passed away. I don't know what to do. All of a sudden, everything changes, right? All of a sudden, you see that person in a different light. No longer are you frustrated at them for not doing their job, but you feel compassion and you feel empathy for that person. All of a sudden, everything changes from simply the way you see that person, from simply understanding where that person is coming from. See, perspective is everything when it comes to treating other people. And Paul uh, is probably somebody who gives us the best example of that. See, Paul uh, was a guy who used to go by the name of Saul. And Saul was somebody who slaughtered Christians, somebody who hated Christians. He was a Jew and he saw every other Christian as kind of his enemy. And so he went around trying to stamp out the early church. But then there's one moment in his life, one moment that changes his perspective on himself and both the way he sees other people. And all of a sudden, he doesn't treat Christians with disrespect. He doesn't go around trying to kill Christians, but he in fact tries to reach as many people and tell them about who Jesus is. And rather than extending hate to those who had hurt him, who he viewed as his enemies, He extended love. He did something completely opposite and it all started with one thing, a change in perspective by embracing one idea, one idea that changed everything for him. And this one idea uh, is probably captured best in uh, a letter that Paul writes to the Roman church um, and it's found in Romans 5. We're going to jump there real quickly where he unpacks this massive idea, this idea that will change his life and will ultimately help you change the way you treat other people and will help you do good for those who don't do for you. I mean, we're going to pick up in uh, Romans 5, 6, where it says, for while we were still helpless, so we, that's you and me, while we were still helpless, while we couldn't help ourselves, while we were in a state of chaos, at the right time, God, uh, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were helpless, God intervened and He helped us even though we couldn't help ourselves. He died for the ungodly. Now, it may not be news to you, but to be ungodly 
is to not be God. And what Paul's saying here is, you're not God, which, you know, is pretty common sense, but it's a massive idea when you grab hold of it. Because if we're not God, and Jesus was God, then why would He help us? He's above us, right? He's got more power than us. Why would He help us? We're the ones who are helpless, and yet He helped the helpless, even though we were the ones who should have been helping Him. He did all that, and it was just mind-blowing for Paul. And he goes on to explain just how dramatic this event was. He goes on to say in the next verse, he says, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare to die. How many people would you be prepared to die for? I can imagine it wouldn't be that extensive, would it? It might be a couple people, maybe a best friend, maybe a couple close friends or a family member, maybe someone who benefited you or or benefited society or, or benefited somebody close to you. But it certainly wouldn't be someone who'd hurt you, not somebody who'd hurt you deeply. And yet Jesus extended love to those who would hurt him. He goes on and says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In this holds one massive thought, which if you understand this, this will change everything. This will help you do good to those who don't do for you. See, it starts with what Paul first says, his love towards us. That's you and that's me. And that's also the people that hurt you. Jesus died and loves everybody, including you and also the person who hurt you. Not only that, He died for us, not because of anything we had done, but He died while we were still sinners, while we were still in the wrong. We all fall short of a perfect standard. We all, from time to time, sit on the centurion side of the equation. We all find ourselves as that person who's hurt somebody else. And yet, Jesus intervened to die for those who did not earn the love that He gave. Bottom line, we do for those who don't do for us because Jesus did for us what we did not deserve. And with that in mind, I want to leave you with two things for you to do this weekend and over this Christmas period so that you can survive Christmas. Here at Beyond, we call that Full Monday, uh, which is just the application of tonight's message, something that you can take away uh, on, your, uh, on your way for the weekend and on Monday, so it will ultimately change your life and change Christmas for you. And this week's Full Monday is two-parter. First part is going to be super easy for you. Some of you have already done it. I want you to identify your centurion. I want you to identify that person in your midst this Christmas who you find it difficult to love. That person you find it difficult to do good for. It might be a relative. It might be um, your boss. It might be a co-worker. It might be somebody who gossiped about you um, behind your back and it's damaged your image. It might be uh, somebody you used to be friends with, but you're not friends anymore because of something they did. And yet, this Christmas, you're going to find yourself gathered around them because it's Christmas after all. And Christmas brings people together. 
then you're going to find yourself at a party with them. Others of you, it might be somebody else. Somebody, an ex-boss or an ex-co-worker. Somebody, and they're an ex-co-worker, an ex-boss because they fired you. Or that ex-co-worker ratted you out and they blamed you for their mistake. And you just find it so hard to leverage anything towards them. And yet, I want you to identify that person, whoever it is. And then here comes the second part. And this is the hardest part of maybe the full Monday this week. The hardest part is this. I want you to extend love to that person before Christmas. You've got 22 days or 23 days till Christmas Day. I want you to identify that person you find hard to love and then I want you to extend love to that person before the end of Christmas. I want you to find a way to serve that person or to be generous towards that person. It might be a compliment. It might be celebrating their success. It might be simply having a conversation with them at a party rather than avoiding them. It might be simply buying them a cup of coffee. It might be writing them a card. It could be apologizing to them. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous. Why would you apologize to somebody who hurt you? Some of you, and it doesn't apply to all of you, but some of you, you got hurt once and you've been using that as an excuse to hurt them. And you've hurt that person time and time again because of one thing they did to you. So you might need to apologize to them this Christmas. And others of you, you might actually need to thank them. And I know that sounds ridiculous as well. Why would you thank somebody who's hurt you? Well, there's a few of you here who you got hurt once and you've been holding on to that hurt. And because you've been holding on to that hurt, you've actually uh, prevented yourself from seeing the fact that that person actually cares for you. That person is actually sorry for what they did to you. And they've actually, and you've blocked that out. And you can't see the fact that they actually have done a lot for you and they have done a lot of good for you because you're holding on to that hurt. And that loving them might be simply thanking them for what they have done to, for you. Now, I want to be extremely clear about one thing. Extending love to somebody does not mean you have to trust them. It does not mean you have to re-engage relationally. You don't have to re-engage relationally to serve somebody. And you don't need to trust somebody to love somebody. You don't have to trust him or her to extend love to them this Christmas. I'm not asking you to get back together. I'm not asking you to be best friends again. I'm not asking you to move back in All I'm asking for you is to do for others what Jesus did for you. Extend that love that he extended. Now, I know this is going to be extremely difficult. And the reason why I know is I find this extremely difficult. When I'm hurt and when I see somebody close to me get hurt, the last thing I want to do is extend love. I find it so much easier to avoid that person. I find it so much easier to make excuses for mistreating that person. I don't always get this right. It's hard. It's hard to love somebody who's hurt you. It's hard to love somebody who's hurt somebody close to you because they've done nothing to earn it. See, in the shadow of your hurt, extending love, it feels like a decision to reward that person and to reward your enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, it 
with everything Jesus has done. Extending love is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. See, Jesus, he gave it all, not because of anything we had done. We were in the wrong, and yet he gave to us what we did not deserve. The love Jesus extended was extended freely, and not because we deserved it. See, perfect love is not earned. It's given, and it's given freely. And you, this Christmas, have the opportunity to extend love and to give that same gift to somebody else. And in doing so, reflect just what God has done for you. Bottom line, we do for others who don't do for us because Jesus did for us what we did not deserve. Let me pray for you. Dear God, we just thank you for everything you did for us. We thank you for what you did for us on the cross. We thank you that you love us. Um, and we just pray that you would help us to extend love this Christmas to those who uh, have not done right by us, Lord. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.